episode of the Crowned Opulence podcast is brought to you by Opulent Outcomes Coaching and Consulting. Are you just starting out in your business? Maybe you have been in business for a year or two, or maybe even longer. Do you have an idea or vision for your business and wonder what it takes to bring that vision to life? Or maybe you have started working towards the outcomes you desire for your business, but aren't seeing the results that you hoped for. Have you given any thought to the strength of your marketing strategy? Lady, today is the day that you get some of those questions answered. See the link in the show notes and see just how strong your marketing strategy is. Take the marketing strategy assessment today to see just how strong your marketing strategy is and gain insight into your next step to make it even stronger. And the best part is it's free. What is it about a woman being unapologetic about her dreams and her drive, operating in excellence and having high standards that people find so intimidating? Don't wilt, sis. Bloom with opulence anyway. Welcome to the Crowned Opulence Podcast with me, Cassandra Alexis, best-selling author and co-author of The Unchained Goddess. I'm a marketing strategist, coach, and consultant, and the CEO of Opulent Outcomes Coaching and Consulting. But you can call me your Chief Empowerment Officer, empowering you to silence your self-doubt, own your opulence, and market your value to enable you to create your own tables in life and business. In these conversations, we talk about the hard, messy, necessary, yet embarrassing things. You know, those things that we don't talk about as Black women because we think we are the only ones experiencing them or are too ashamed to share our truth while gaining the marketing savviness needed to grow and build our own empires. Think of it as Sunday brunch with your girls or business besties. And yes, the mimosas are included on each episode. I'll let you in on a secret. You aren't alone. We are our sister's keeper here in the Crowned Opulence Society. Sis, it's your time to be unapologetically opulent, and we're here for you. Let's get to it. Hey, lady. I so love it when one of my fellow unchained goddesses joins me on the podcast because they go deep, okay? And they are always dropping so many gems. And today is no different. Have you ever wondered why you keep picking the same type of guy? Or why your relationships keep having similar outcomes? There is a very good chance that your attachment style has something to do with it. Full transparency moment here. This concept was new to me until recently. As Paula and I talked, I could totally pick out which one I was, and I cannot wait to take the quiz in the link in the show notes to see if I was right. Now listen, before you go and run off thinking you don't have an attachment style, trust me, you do. According to Paula, everyone falls into one of the categories that we discuss. And don't let the name fool you. And an attachment style isn't code for a codependent person or anything of the such. And even if you do have some codependency, there is nothing wrong with you. 
the truth is we all have some healing to do. And once you do your work and heal, hold on to your hat because trust, you will have more to do. Paula Nicole Good focuses on supporting ambitious women through mindset transformation and emotional healing as they learn to embody their feminine energy. She is a heart-centered strategist who helps women discover what it means to live as their most authentic self and discover intimate connections in healthy relationships. Her teachings through her courses and programs center around subconscious mindset shifting, confidence building, and holistic well-being. Many of her clients are trying to discover themselves after divorce, breakups, unhealthy relationships, and narcissistic abuse. They are desiring to be loved, supported, and respected after dealing with years of codependency and unhealthy relationships. It is her passion and mission to guide women as they awaken to their authentic truth while they release the blocks and burdens of guilt, shame, heartbreak, and emotional wounds. Let's get to it. Hello, Paula. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I am just ready to get through this year. It just started. It did. But I have so many plans and I'm ready to get them going. Well, let's get this conversation going. Let everyone know who you are. Okay, my name is Paula Good. I am a transformation coach and a registered nurse. And I primarily help women who are healing from emotional wounds and just pain from the past. And I help them really learn to heal themselves, love themselves, so that they can attract the relationship of their dreams. And we do that by helping them become the person they absolutely want to attract. Love it. And so before we get into this conversation, which we've had our own personal conversations and talking about attachment styles, which I did not even know was a thing other than like being codependent, but I didn't know there were different types of attachment styles, both good and maybe rooms for improvement or rooms for growth and development. But before we get into that, let everyone know, what are you drinking? Well, I am definitely a wine lover. So today I actually have it's a red blend. Oh. And normally I don't do box wines, but a colleague of mine turned me on to top quality box wines. And this one's pretty good. It's by Bottle Box and it's the Nighthawk Black Nighthawk Dark Red blend. So I have a cinnamon pear mimosa. So this is Prosecco pear juice, and then it has cinnamon sticks in it. And then it's sprinkled with a little bit of cinnamon on top. So cheers. All right, let's get to it. First off, because if people are like me and don't know or didn't know what attachment styles are, help us out. What are attachment styles? So basically, when we are dealing with relationships, whether they're romantic, family, whatever, there's a psychology behind relationships because each person has their own psychological makeup. And when two people come together, there's a whole psychological attachment that comes into play. So attachment styles is all about how you relate and attach to a person and it's definitely related to your psychology. And there are four different attachment styles and we'll go through them all. But what we're going to do is just really talk about the different characteristics of the different attachment styles so you can understand how you are relating to a person, understand your psychology behind how you actually interact with somebody. Love it. 
And I didn't think about it from that standpoint in terms of how you relate to someone. Because in some ways, I would think that that could apply to not just romantic relationships then also. Yeah, and actually our attachment styles are formed when we're in childhood. So it really looks to how the relationship we had with our parents. So it does, our family dynamics growing up play a huge role in how we attach to people in our romantic relationships. Really? So what I'm hearing you say is the way that parents are treating their children, the way that children are connecting with their parents has implications and impacts 15, 20, 30 years down the road with people that they probably don't even know right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. So just looking at that child-parent relationship, there's a psychology behind that. And if you know, our children are very dependent on their parents from the time we're born. You know, we can't survive without our parents. Mm -hmm. So the time we are able to start taking care of ourselves, and that's different for everyone, but usually it is in our 20s. You know, it goes beyond 18 and a lot of times 18, we're independent, but truthfully, our parents still play a role when we do have that healthy attachment with them. But that child relates to that parent and has expectations for that parent, looks to that parent for validation, comfort, care. If you're familiar with the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, our most basic need is safety. Mm. And we look to our parent for that. And if along those hierarchy of needs, especially with the safety and the emotional interactions, if we're not getting those needs met, they impact us subconsciously. And then we carry that around with us as we grow. And then, of course, as you grow, you have other situations that happen, like when you're a teenager or a young adult, when you're getting into relationships or even dealing with your friendships and all the fun stuff that come with peer pressure, it can either strengthen those issues or cause them to be even more complicated. So mm -hmm. if you had a particular type of relationship with your parent that caused you to start having some blocks and then you get into a relationship and you deal with pain in that relationship, it's going to reinforce what you experience with your parent. Oh, wow. That is pretty deep and powerful. I'm pretty sure when people are raising their kids, they're not even thinking. They're doing the best they can Absolutely. to raise and parent their child. But I mean, it literally, you are formulating little humans and everything that you're doing. No pressure, moms. <laughs> Absolutely. No pressure. And with that, that's why a lot of times it's very important that we do our inner work because a lot of times we don't know what's going on. We don't know that we're carrying these things and not only does it impact our relationships romantically, but it impacts our relationships with our children. Mm. And once we're able to break those cycles within ourselves, we're breaking those generational cycles. So we're breaking it. So as we raise our children, they're not dealing with the pain that we had from the pain our mom or our father had from the pain they had with their parents and so on down the line. So it is truthfully breaking that generational cycle when we do our inner work. So you mentioned that we were going to talk about what the four types are. So can you share what the four types are and also give us a little bit of examples on how they show up so we can sort of identify which ones we fit in because everyone fits into one. Yes. Right. Okay. And I think you mentioned one is a combination of two. Mm -hmm. So everyone is one of these. Y'all can't say, oh, I'm not that one, that one. Everybody is one of these. But it'll be great for us to be able to hear what they are and then be able to see some examples for us to kind of figure out which one we are. No judgment. You don't have to tell anybody which category y'all fall into. 
Yes, we'll get into it. So the four types, we'll start with compasses, the majority of people, and that is actually the secure attachment type. And in this attachment type, it's where a person is able to form their secure relationships with someone else. They're able to trust, they can give, they can receive, they're able to get close to people and bond with others in a very secure way. And I believe about over 50% of the population falls into the secure type. So that's the type that we want to be in. And there's even ranges within the secure, the secure attachment. However, when you're within the secure, you're able to have that healthy relationship and able to, like I said, do that give and take that it takes in a relationship. So I probably don't need to go into too many details of what that looks like, but that is what a healthy person in a healthy relationship needs to have. Before you go to the next one, if you are a secure relationship type, or a secure attachment type. If you connect with someone in another category or that person maybe does something that makes you feel insecure, causes you to lose trust, like they do something to betray your trust, is it possible that you can change or does it cause you to not be secure anymore because of an action that they took? Yes, absolutely. So you can be secure and you can experience something that could bring up a lot of feelings. So for example, a secure person is able to trust. But if you're in a situation where you're betrayed and your trust is lost, and depending on what happened and how you process those feelings, and if you did anything afterwards, it is possible for you to move to one of the other insecure attachment types. And that is something that actually happened to me. All right. But yes, you can move into an insecure attachment if you experience some type of emotional trauma or even a physical trauma. PTSD is real, whether it's physical or emotional, psychological abuse can cause PTSD. And if you experience something on that level and you haven't really processed and healed through it, you can move to an insecure attachment type and you can begin to not trust other people. And like I said, that happened to me. I was able to be in a situation where I was very trusting. I wasn't naive, but I was able to trust. But being with someone who's a narcissist, it was a slow roll psychological abuse. And by the time that relationship ended, and it was a very long relationship, I was unable to trust people. And I really had to work on my trust issues. So I went from secure to actually anxious and then avoidance. And I'm now in the secure attachment. And even within the secure attachment, I still constantly do work to help me stay in that attachment style. Got it. Okay. What's the next one? Okay. So the next one that I want to go through is actually avoidance. So I believe it's 19% or more of the population is avoidant. And this is where you have a fear of intimacy. So someone who has a fear of intimacy is going to avoid getting close to someone. And they also have a negative view on others. So they lack trust in other people. So they see themselves in a positive way, but they really don't see other people in a positive way. And relationships can make them feel like they're suffocated and maybe distant, emotionally unavailable. Another one that a lot of people may miss is they're overly independent. They rely on themselves. They don't trust anybody to do anything for them. And that shows up, of course, in their friendships, their relationships. And you'll find that they're the type, they may have a lot of surface level relationships, but they don't have a lot of close relationships. That's with friendships and even family. 
But even within a relationship, you'll find that they have not had many relationships or they've been single for a long period of time, or they're constantly dating people, but never really getting close to them. And what causes this is, of course, childhood wounds when a parent or caregiver was not responsive to needs. So think of a child who's crying and just needs mama or needs daddy. And the response is, stop crying. There's no hugging. There's no affection. That child then learns to rely on themselves emotionally and feels like they can't depend on others. So I came across this and I can't remember the source, but a lot of men tend to have this avoidant attachment style. Men are raised to not be in touch with their emotions. You're able to understand why they end up being avoidant because they have constantly refuse or not allow themselves to get in touch with their emotions. So they don't even touch their emotions. So when they are in a situation where they are expected to become emotionally close, have intimacy, they don't even know how to do it. So they avoid it. There's that avoidant attachment that you see in men. And I know a lot of women have dated a man or has a family member, maybe even their father, uncle, grandfather, who was emotionally unavailable you know, just doesn't show that affection. He has an avoidant attachment style. And if you were to sit down and get into some deep conversations, you probably get to the roots that in their childhood, they were not allowed to deal with the emotions or experience the emotions, or they had a parent who did not show emotions to them or a combination of both. Now, avoidant can be caused also later in life, especially a relationship where you are intimately close with someone or you're able to be vulnerable with someone and you experience betrayal or emotions where it's very traumatic to you and you feel like your trust has been broken and you haven't worked through those trust issues, you can become avoidant and you just do not get close to anyone. You don't allow yourself to get close because you have that fear of intimacy and you fear that you're going to get hurt again. So if you are carrying around those trust issues and that hurt, you will struggle with having that intimate, close relationship that you truly desire. And before we go to the next one, especially in this day and age in which pop culture glorifies being unfaithful and having multiple people, male and women, male and female, how do you work through your trust issues if you happen to be in a situation in which you find that your trust was betrayed? So when you find that your trust has been betrayed, the most important thing is to focus on the reality of who you are. A lot of times when we are betrayed in that manner, we want to blame ourselves on some level, like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have loved. I shouldn't have cared so much. I shouldn't have given so much. So we start taking the blame in on ourselves. And then subconsciously, we start believing we don't make good decisions and people, oh my gosh, this is the third person who's done this to me. I'm just never going to deal with anyone else. And subconsciously, it's because I can't make good decisions when it comes to choosing a partner. So in order to work through that, number one, you have to recognize you didn't make the decision to betray yourself. That's on them. Number two, you have to begin to trust yourself. So in my programs, we work on different activities so you can learn to trust yourself because the thing is you have an intuition and you have to listen to it and it's talking to you all the time. But if you don't trust yourself, you're going to ignore it. You're going to think, ah, I'm just going to put this block up because it's so much easier. 
The other thing that's very important when it comes to trust issues is understanding why you may have chose someone, how you may have gotten into certain relationships. A lot of times we have patterns of choosing the wrong mate because of things, once again, that stem from our childhood. We're trying to form certain attachments that we're used to subconsciously. For example, let's go back to this avoidant attachment style. Let's say you had that parent who was not very close to you. You're used to that. You really don't know how to function in that healthy connection, even though you want it, but you're used to that lack of emotional connection. Mm. When you seek partners, you may be attached or more attracted to those who are emotionally unavailable because they remind you of that connection that you had with that parent. So you are playing out your relationship with your parent in your romantic relationships and you're repeating the pattern. So what I do when I'm working with clients is I help them really get back into the past. We do something called a trauma timeline and we go down the timeline of your life and really pick it apart and look at different things. And I look for a pattern. And in that pattern, what I'll see is something playing out, a behavior that's playing out, a thought process that's playing out. And you end up choosing someone who's just like that parent that you had that insecure attachment style with. So when you are having these trust issues, that's why I say a lot of times you got to work on trusting yourself. And part of that is healing and healing those old wounds, first becoming aware of those wounds, healing those wounds. Because once you're able to heal them, you see things differently. And you're able to spot red flags. And not only do you need to spot red flags, but you need to know what to do when you see them. Because sometimes we ignore them. Sometimes we think we can fix them. Sometimes we overlook them. Sometimes we think they're not a big deal. When the reality is this red flag that's waving in your face is going to cause you to go down the same path you always go down. So it's important for you to start making different decisions. And then you start having those different outcomes. And when you start seeing that within yourself, that you can make different decisions, you can make better choices for yourself, then you can trust yourself more. And you know now when you're dating, yeah, you can send a narcissist my way. I'm going to spot him just like that. I'm going to shut it down, walk away. I don't care what happens because I trust myself enough to see the red flags coming forward and trust myself enough to make the right decision to say that's not for me and be okay with it. This is so good. So the next one we have is the anxious uh, attachment style. And this is rooted in fear of abandonment. And with this one, you have a negative view of yourself and more of a positive view of others. So a lot of times I see this in women. I've seen it in men and women, but I see it a lot of times in women. Women who are the fixers, they want to make things right. They want to over-communicate. We have a problem. We got to fix it. We got to fix it. We got to fix it. They need lots of validation from their partner. Their partner can say, I love you. And it's all gravy. But then later on, there's overthinking. It's like, well, what if he doesn't love me enough? When they step away, maybe to go to work or maybe going out with their friends, you worry that they're going to find someone that's better than you. They may leave you. So you have this fear that they're going to leave you. And that is also rooted in your attachment style with your parent. Maybe you had a parent that left a parent who wasn't there, or maybe you had a parent within the household, you can still have some issues. And maybe you had that one parent who was just not there. They didn't show up. Maybe they went to work and that was it, but they didn't show up when you needed them. They said they'd be there. They wouldn't be there. Broken promises. There's that abandonment issue that you have. 
And that plays out in your relationships. And it shows up in your relationships where you get kind of clingy, you're demanding, you need that constant validation, you're a saver, fixer, like I said, or you could be someone who looks for those savers and fixers. There's people who are looking for someone to come and help them with their problems. Come save me from my issues and everything. And that right there is that it creates an anxiety. So that's where that anxious attachment style comes in. So that comes when you have that unpredictable or emotionally insensitive parent and your basic emotional needs were never met. Other traits with that is with communication styles. So if you are someone where instead of saying, hey, I need you to spend more quality time with me, instead of you using your words, you act out with your feelings. So when you want someone to spend more quality time with you, you're kind of feeling a certain way, right? So someone who has an anxious attachment style, they're going to act on those feelings. So they'll act out versus saying what they need. And it's that acting out, that clinginess, that neediness that can actually create tension in a relationship. And it can cause resentment from your partner, depending on how much you're requiring of them. If that partner feels like, okay, well, last time I went out, it was a problem. This time I'll just stay home because I don't feel like having this conflict. And you're thinking, oh, they're staying home with me. But in their head, they're like, I can't have a life being with you because now I have to give this time to you because you think I'm going to cheat on you when I'm not. But when I go out with my friends, I'm actually thinking about you because I love you and I'm just enjoying my time with my friends, but I can't even do that. So it creates a lot of resentment and anger with your partner. And then that creates another level of issues that starts playing out. And then someone who is anxious is going to even get worse when that starts happening. Oh, wow. And the sad thing is with that, I see the potential for that type of scenario to happen with many women that grew up without their dads or without close loving relationships with their dads. And even sometimes maybe even you're a mix of being independent because you don't trust anyone to be there for you because you didn't have a chance to let someone be there for you because he wasn't. And maybe you're anxious because he wasn't too. Like it's, it's really interesting listening to as you describe the styles, but where it comes from. This is really good. You're dropping so many gems. Go ahead, girl. <laughs> yeah, there's always roots to these things. And that's why, like, when I'm working with someone, I'm like, we have to do this hard work. And it's very hard sometimes to really, you know, sit down and think about your pain. Think about the things that remind you of these feelings and get them out. Because who wants to deal with that type of emotion? Those are the emotions a lot of people avoid. But that's where the healing comes in. Okay. So the last one is fearful, avoidant attachment. And that's a combination of anxious and avoidant. And with this one, it's very rare. I think less than 5% of the population has this. And this one is where you have a negative view of yourself and of others. Oh, wow. Like you crave affection. You want that relationship, but you also avoid it. So you're always in this conflict within yourself. And this really gets down into like that deep, heavy, critical, negative thought process of nobody will ever love me. Mm. No one's going to think I'm enough. No matter what somebody shows you, this thought process happens. And it's like, you want that love, but you really don't want to get close. 
like a merry-go-round. It is a merry-go-round. And this one can really cause a lot with relationships. You'll see this in someone who they push you away. And then when you're like, fine, you know what? I'm gone. Then they pull you back in. So you have that push, pull, push, pull. And it creates an emotional roller coaster within the relationship. And the other person is just confused. They're like, I don't know what you want. I'm here. You don't want me here when I'm gone. You don't want me to leave. And those are the really toxic ones. Like the avoidant, the anxious, and fearful avoidant all have toxic qualities. But this one right here can be really toxic to that other person especially if they're actually balanced because they don't know what to do. They're like, mm -hmm. if I give, it's a problem. If I take away, it's a problem. And there is no middle ground. This is so good. I wonder how many people are really kind of trying to figure out which one they are or if they've ebbed and flowed kind of like you, how you started as secure. And then you went through different stages as you went through your relationship with your ex-husband and then came back up. And now you're back on the secure side. So I wonder how many people are listening and finding themselves in different quadrants or seeing how they have ebbed and flowed through different ones throughout their lives and in different relationships. Yeah. So now that we know a little bit more about these attachment styles, what, if anything, does it say about us as women? Well, like I said, it goes back to our childhood. And a lot of times when we're dealing with the emotional baggage that have been impacting our relationships. and I want to really expand because a lot of times what we deal with not only impacts our romantic relationships, but it impacts our friendships, our professional relationships, our relationships with our family. So when you start seeing a certain pattern, it's really time to look at yourself. If you're the common denominator, it's really time to look at yourself. So mm -hmm. if you feel like I always have a problem with people where nobody likes me or everybody's always this and it's true <laughs> that people are responding to you like that. It, you're the problem. It's time for you to step back, stop pointing the finger at others, go look at yourself in the mirror and say, how can I work on myself? Because I am the common denominator. So it's very important to be accountable for your healing. Now, you may have gone through some things, whether it was dealing with your parents, dealing with a relationship, boyfriend, fiance, husband, titles don't matter because when it comes to that relationship and that trauma, that trauma doesn't have that title. It's really important for you to understand, yes, they may have done something, but it's up to you to heal you. No one else is going to heal you. Nothing is going to fix you. No relationship is going to fix you. No man, no one who's the perfect person on your list is going to fix this. You have to do the work. And when I say fix, I want to go ahead and go to the left a little bit. Number one, you're not broken, okay? So what I believe, people are not broken. People have been in situations where they were in an environment where they were not allowed to develop in different areas of their life. So if, let's just use men, for example, the ones who are avoidant. If they were raised where they were told, boys don't cry, suck it in, you don't show emotions, they were in an environment where they were not allowed to develop emotionally, mm. okay? So a lot of people have these underdeveloped areas in their life, and it can be emotionally, mentally, spiritually, financially, sexually. So there's different areas where we may have some underdevelopment. And with that, we can develop. So you're not broken. You don't need to be fixed. You just need to have the right environment where you can thrive, grow, and heal so that you can develop. And you can, what I say, take yourself to that next level. So it's very important that you become accountable 
to your healing, but recognize if you continue to have similar problems or you're in the same relationship with a different face, the same problem, you have to step back and heal. And that is what we work on in my course. I'm actually working on a group coaching course. It's called the Magnetic Blueprint. And what I do is we have a blueprint on how to get from a point where you're feeling like I need to heal. I have this cycle of toxic relationships. I have this pain within me that I can't let go of. I have these trust issues. I help you get from that and utilize this blueprint and go through the process to undo all that tangled web, remove all of the baggage, clear it out so we can start filling it in with the things you need in order to have that healthy relationship, to have that confidence, to have that self-esteem, to build your self-worth because it is a process. So the blueprint gives you that process to get to that point. So then when you get to that point, now you're not the common denominator in an unhealthy relationship. You're the common denominator in the healthy relationships. Okay. And that's what you want. And you do that by becoming the person you want to attract. So you want that healthy person who's going to bring you happiness, bring you joy, be faithful. You have to become that person first. You can't move from the point A and B in that underdeveloped state and think you're going to get to point B and it's going to be good. It's going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. You have to take your time while you're in point A, develop so that when you get to point B, which is that healthy relationship, you're able to thrive in it. You're able to grow. You, you have that dream relationship that you desire. I love how you said you're not broken because... I think sometimes that's the story we can tell ourselves. We're broken. There's something wrong. Especially as women, we can be very critical of ourselves. And you hear, especially people that get into you bad relationship after relationship, you'll hear, I'm not good at relationships. And that's the story that they're telling themselves. And then again, you become not good at relationships because you're telling yourself over and over, I'm not good at relationships. And so I love how you said you're not broken, which is to me like the equivalent of saying, there's nothing wrong with you. Yes, you may have areas of growth, development, opportunity. Everybody does in some area of their life. And so I so love how you said that as a reframe for our mindset to also, when you went into, again, the reframing, turn yourself into that person you want to attract. Ladies always say, I want the six foot two, 225 pounds, six figure, good credit and nowhere near and being in shape. Don't have a pot till you know what in. Credit is jacked. But why do you think this man over here who has worked so hard to get himself together now wants to come over here and take care of you and all your mess and your drama? <laughs> yep, you, that, that's attachment style where you want that saver. I need you to come in and save me. I need you to come in and fix me. But yeah, like I teach women, you got to get rid of that list. That list is going to keep you stuck because with that list, you're never going to do any work on yourself because you're always looking for the other person to be perfect. Mm-hmm. You're always looking for them to meet the, the high standards that you're not even meeting. Mm-hmm. You mentioned some of this as we were talking about the attachment styles, but how do these different ones impact our actual relationships and show up and keep us from getting what we're actually 
wanting and hoping for? Like, how is it that we are stopping ourselves from getting what we actually want? So let's talk about the avoidant one. And I'll, I'll talk about that because like I said, I have been avoided. I probably was, when it came to the insecure relationship styles, I was probably avoidant more than the anxious piece. But when you're avoidant, you don't allow anyone to love you. You don't allow anyone to come in. And with that, you may very well have your ideal partner showing up, trying to love you, trying to build a relationship with you, trying to get close, trying to be everything you want to be. But because you have that wall up and because you have blinders on, you don't see it and you're avoiding it because it's making you so uncomfortable. And you're thinking, oh, he's smothering me. Oh, he's doing too much. He's giving too much. Mm-mm. He is probably what you need. So you are preventing yourself from having that relationship with a man who mm. can be that leader, be that provider, be your support person. Love it. So, okay. We've talked about what these styles are and how they show up in our relationship. And so now, if you like me, you're like, okay, I've identified the problem. How do I fix it? How do I get rid of it? What do I need to do? So how do we actually break free from these different styles and stop repeating the cycle, stop attracting the same person or being that same person? And you talked a little bit about that when you were talking about like how you overcome being betrayed and heal from trust. But let's go a little bit deeper because I'm sure people are like, well, okay, now I know the problem, but we wanted to fix it. Yeah, yeah. And so one thing that I do have, and I'll send you my link, but on my link, I actually have the quiz that someone can take to figure out what attachment style they're in. So when I send you the link and you send it out to everyone, when they click on it, it's at the very bottom. I have a few options, but it's the link at the very bottom that has the attachment style quiz. And when you click on it, there's two different options and give yourself time to take it. It's not a quick quiz, but it actually let you know where you fall on the spectrum by asking a lot of these questions. So that way you have a clear picture of how you operate when it comes to relationships and your attachment. And then from there, once you're able to identify where you fall, then you can really start doing some work because the number one key to healing is becoming aware of you. Once you're aware of things, you have no choice but to heal it. So if you know you're the person as being clingy when it comes to the anxious attachment style. You're needing validation, even though your partner's giving it to you. Then it's time for you, and we'll focus on this one to answer your second question. We'll, but it's time for you to really pay attention to reality. Mm. So you have this fear. And when I say fear, I'm speaking of the acronym F E A R. And fear stands for loss emotions appearing real. You have all these emotions. You're worried that they're going to leave you. They're worried that they're, that they're going to uh, step out. That's false. When you look at the reality of who your mate is, it's important for you to ask yourself, what are they doing to show that they are committed in this relationship? And it's important that you write those things down. How are they showing up in this relationship? Do they love me? How do they show me that they love me? Do they care about me? How are they showing me that they care about me? You're answering those questions because you need to see the reality of the situation. And like I said, I did get into that attachment style after I ended my marriage because I was with a narcissist. And in that relationship, 
he wanted me to be insecure because when you're insecure, somebody can control you. They're able to use that fear against you. Oh, if you do this, I'm going to leave you. And then because you have that fear, you go and do what they want you to do anyway, right? So you want to really address that fear because that fear, if you're in the wrong relationship, can really burn you. But you can also burn your partner too. But you really want to focus on that reality. Ask yourself, what kind of relationship am I in? What kind of partner do I have? And write down the reality of it. What are the true characteristics they show? And when you start getting into your fear, like they, they leave the house and you're like, oh my God, nowhere up here. Has he ever cheated? Has I, have I ever caught anything? If you're going through his phone and you don't find anything, put that phone down, stop going through it, okay? And don't think because you didn't find anything, oh, I haven't found anything yet. Mm -hmm. Oh, he's got another false emotions appearing real. Get rid of the false. Focus on the facts, the reality, okay? And then with that, you need to do your healing. You've got to find help, whether it's a therapist or a coach. I actually had both. I started with therapy and then I got a coach because I really had a lot of work to do after being in a narcissistic relationship for 18 years. Okay. Yeah. And for me, I did realize my childhood played a role because my mother, I had the mother wounds. No, mm -hmm. I don't think women have daddy issues. No, I have mommy issues. I had the mother wound. My mother had narcissistic characteristics as well as some other things. And that caused me to be in that narcissistic relationship for those many years because I was trying to fix it. I was trying to do this. But then in addition to that, because I was already in that wounded state, he was able to dig deeper in those wounds. And I became someone who was very anxious by the time I left. So when I first started dating, I was like, oh my gosh oh, they're going to leave me. They're going to think I'm not good enough. They're going to find out this. So I had to do start with therapy. And then I went into coaching. I was doing both simultaneously. And now I focus mostly on coaching. I do have coaching from someone who is a therapist as well. Mm -hmm. So I've done that. So that's been beneficial. When it comes to someone who is avoidant, you really have to get down into your trust issues mm. and start trusting yourself. And you also have to focus on reality because a lot of times you think, I'm just not going to trust anyone because I was let down. But the reality is you got to trust yourself because you have some trustworthy people who have your back and will be loyal to you. And you have to open up and give them a chance. Now, of course, you can't just open up right away. It's baby steps. And like I said, I was also avoidant, right? <laughs> I, had <to> do, <laughs> I had to do these baby steps. <laughs> yeah, and both sides. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I mean, I, I'm a professional. But one thing that helped me was paying attention to my triggers. Mm. So when you get into a relationship or you start getting close with someone and you're avoidant, you get that uncomfortable feeling, you get triggered, you want to run, you want to shut down. And you have to recognize when that trigger is coming up. Mm -hmm. It's important that you take your space because avoiding people need their space. You take your time. So you may not want to be with someone who has an anxious attachment because you won't get your space, but you take your space and you let those feelings process, right? You let them come out. I always say, you've got to sit in your feelings. 
It is very uncomfortable. It is very uncomfortable. But here's the thing. We're so used to taking our feelings and pushing them down. I like to use the metaphor of a trash can, right? Mm -hmm. Putting trash in there, putting trash in there, putting trash in there. It starts to overflow. You're pushing it down, trying to get more trash. It starts falling out. So you're like, okay, see what I can do. Next thing you know, you're trying to pull the bag out. The bag is tearing. Trash is everywhere. (laughs) Overfilled. Because you didn't take the time to process that trash and take it out when it was supposed to come out. So it's important that you get in the habit of processing your emotions. And this is the hard work. It's going to be uncomfortable. You will need some level of support, whether it's a friend that you trust, a therapist, a coach. You need someone to guide you because you have to break the pattern of holding it in and pushing it down. And here's the thing. A lot of times we think, oh my gosh, just these emotions are going to come out. I don't want to feel this way. I have a life to live. I can't live my life like that. When you start allowing these emotions to come out, you start becoming very good at processing to where they come out and you're able to get back to your life and feel better. And this is the nurse part of me, and I hope I don't gross anyone out, but it's like vomiting. You're feeling sick, you're nauseous, you throw up. My stomach feels better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but that process of getting it up and out is not fun. It can be painful and it's not pretty when it comes out. And it's exactly. a mess to clean up. It's messy. It's very messy. But once it's out, you're like, I feel better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then once you've done that a few times, now you know when you have those triggers, or something's always going to trigger you. Mm-hmm. You never complete your healing journey. You're always been on a healing journey. That's why it's called a journey. But once you get to a point where you are comfortable with knowing, okay, this thing is coming up. I know I got to take some time and process this. You know, it's not going to take long. You're not going to be in the bed for days. It's going to take a short period of time. For me, I remember when it came to certain things, I would go MIA for like weeks. And I didn't even realize it. Like I knew it, but I didn't think other people knew it because mm. I didn't think they cared. But it took my best friend to say something. She was like, yeah, you go MIA. And I'm like, I'm, I'm impacting this relationship here with my closest friend who I do trust. So two weeks, you know, I'd be missing because I'm dealing with these emotions that I'm truly not dealing with. Mm-hmm. But once I started processing them, I might have an hour or two where I'm like, I got to take a break, but that's pretty much it. And then there are times where I do say, okay, today is a day where, you know, I'm feeling I got a lot of emotions going on or something happened Mm -hmm. and I've got to let these emotions out. So I'll take that day to allow myself to process because who knows who you might end up with and they may disappoint you or let you down and it might trigger some other emotions You have to still allow yourself to process that and you have to give yourself that time. But that's what you have to do when you're avoidant is work on connecting with your emotions. So in my program, I actually help you with connecting with the emotions. I've had clients who are emotionally unavailable. I have clients who are the clingy, anxious type. Mm -hmm. So I'm able to help both. And because of my experience of understanding where they are and how they're actually feeling. I'm able to really connect with them and help them with moving forward. But that is something that you need to do. When it comes to fearful avoidant, that does require a lot of work as well, but very similar to the work that's done with anxious and avoidant. 
It's really digging down, understanding what your triggers are, understanding how they're making you feel, allowing those feelings to process, and then also dealing with the reality of the situation. Are you with someone who's supportive? Are you with someone who loves you? Write that down. Write down all the characteristics of your partner in your relationship so you can understand the reality of it and see it. Because when you start getting in your head and you're focusing on that fear, those false emotions appearing real, you get clouded. You start making decisions and and, and judgments and overthinking and and you got a whole conclusion mm-hmm. of somebody they've done gone off and ghosted me and married someone and moved to Vegas when really they just stand in a line at the store is just too long because they have enough cashiers. Yeah, it can. Okay. So can you heal while you're dating? So let's say you're listening to this and you find out, hey, I'm the anxious one. I'm the avoidant one. And you're in a relationship. Can you get to the secure one while you're in that relationship? But let's say you're doing your work and Mr. Tall, Dark, and Handsome, or Light and Handsome, or whatever he is, comes across, and you're still doing your work. But you're like, hmm, this looks appealing. Can you heal and still be in relationship with someone? Absolutely. Like I said, your healing journey never stops, and it should never stop you from enjoying life. So if you're already in a relationship, it is important to really try to understand what kind of relationship you have. For example, when I was with my marriage, there's no way I could heal in that marriage. I was with a narcissist. And I'll just tell you, you cannot heal a narcissist. You can't fix a narcissist. Even if a narcissist goes to therapy, there is no cure. Okay. So there's nothing you can do. So if you are in a relationship with a narcissist, you need to consider an exit plan because you cannot heal in that type of relationship. If you're in a relationship where there's abuse going on, you cannot heal in that type of relationship. Any unhealthy relationship where someone is not supporting you, they don't listen to you, they don't encourage you, they don't want to see you grow, they're not trying to see you do better, you cannot heal in that type of relationship. So you really need to first sit down to understand what type of relationship do I have? It's either healthy or unhealthy, okay? You determine that it's unhealthy, you've got to work on your exit plan. And I know it's easier said than done. Took me a long time to leave my ex-husband because it is a mindset, but start getting it in your mind. I can't stay. I can't heal. This is not the environment where I can thrive. Just like I said, when we're undeveloped, a lot of times it's because our environment wasn't supportive. You're not in a supportive environment. You got to tell yourself this environment is not supportive or conducive to healing and I have to heal. And you'll eventually over time start getting that strength to really know what you need to do. And of course, you're going to need some support. Now, if you're in a relationship and you determine, oh, it's a healthy relationship. I have a supportive partner. That's wonderful. Have that hard conversation with your partner. It's important to have these difficult conversations. Let them know what you're dealing with. Hey, you know, I did this quiz. I realized anxious and, you know, it's these characteristics and let them talk, have that conversation. Let them say, oh yeah, I've noticed that, blah, blah, blah. And then tell them, I'm going to heal. I'm going to work on it and I need your support, okay? And you tell them, you start using your words, not your actions, what you need from them and allow them to support you. If you're avoidant, same thing. Have that conversation with your partner. Let them know, hey, you know what? 
I know sometimes I disappear. I know sometimes I put up a wall, I'm distant, whatever. I get it and I know it's challenging. I'm working on it. This is what I need from you during those times. This is how I need you to support me and allow that partner to support you. Also allow them to talk because we have to understand that even though we're dealing with avoidant or anxious, our partner has needs and we need to support their needs as well. So you have to understand what they need from you. And that is your challenge to step up to the plate and give to your partner. And, you know, just to, you know, my little sidebar, men have feelings, even though we like to believe they don't, they have feelings. Mm -hmm. And it's important that we listen to them, let them speak on their feelings and support them. Okay. So you need to have those conversations, but Yes, you can have that healing in a relationship. If you're dating or you're single and you come across someone and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to pass this up. There's, this is someone who could potentially be a good partner. Number one, vet them. And we go through this in the magnetic blueprint of properly vetting a partner, not the six foot, not the six pack, not the six figures. We scratch all that out and Mm -hmm. really look at those solid things, the standards, their values. What do you have in common? What type of vision do you both have? We look at those things because that's the type of list you need to have when you're vetting a partner. Vet them out properly to make sure that that person, that ideal person that's going to match your ideal relationship, because the ideal person, ideal relationship are two different things and you need to figure them out separately. We also go through that. But once you have vetted them and you realize, yeah, yeah, this this guy right here is for me. He's a keeper. (laughs) Yes. You have to be able to have that uncomfortable conversation and say, hey, I'm on a healing journey. And of course, that's not going to be on the first date (laughs) or the second date because during that time- I'm on a healing journey. (laughs) Yeah, so my anxious people don't throw that out there in the beginning. You are in a process of collecting information. You're just gathering so you can vet. Once you vet it and you guys have started developing that communication and getting closer, then you can start saying, yes, I'm working with a coach or I'm in therapy or I do these things because I'm trying to heal from some things that have kept me out of a relationship. And that's something that I did with dating. When I would vet someone and get closer, I'd say, because, you know, the question was, why were you single for so long? Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I had some things I had to work on within myself because I realized when I was dating, I wasn't having good outcomes. And I would say that. And they really don't ask much. They're like, oh, okay. And a healthy person will respect that. Mm-hmm. Because they see that you're doing the work. They see that you acknowledge. They see that you're being accountable. And they see that at one point you had some things going on. You made the decision to work on those things and be accountable. And now you're in a better place because who wouldn't want to date someone who's done the work to get to a better place, to be a better partner. And they're sitting at, across the table about to start dating you. Mm. So, you know, it's important that you do have that and you want to have those conversations because you need that support. Mm -hmm. You need to see how they respond to that. You have some unhealthy people who are going to use stuff like that against you, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to say, oh, you had to do what? You were in a, what type of relationship? You had to get help. They're not for you. They can't Mm -hmm. support you. And let me tell you this. 
don't let someone try to use things like that against you. Those aren't your weaknesses. Those aren't your flaws. They may be imperfections, but we are all perfectly imperfect. I like to use the movie Eight Mile. I don't know if anyone has ever seen it, mm-hmm. but in this movie, Eminem was up in there, right? Mm-hmm. His rabbit, he had to go to the rap battle the first time he failed, lost, got like murdered on stage, right? <laughs> <laughs> but he realized exactly what happened when he came back. What he did is he brought his flaws his imperfections up to the front. Yeah, I own who I am. Yeah, I live in a trailer park. Yeah, this, yeah, that. This is who I am and I'm cool with it. And what he did was basically say, I'm imperfectly perfect. So when you start bringing up my flaws, it's not going to hurt me. Mm -hmm. So even to this day, my ex-husband will say, oh yeah, she battled depression. She's mentally unstable. It's like, really, what? Okay. Yeah, I battled depression because I was in a narcissistic relationship. (laughs) You caused this. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yes. And I did the work and I'm healed. And no, I'm not. I'm not unstable. I am stable. And another side note, you can have a diagnosis, a mental health diagnosis, and still have a healthy relationship and still be a healthy parent. Don't let anybody tell you differently. If you're not doing what you need to do to work on it, or to control things, then yeah, we have some issues. But if you are diagnosed and you are able to control things, you can have healthy relationships and great outcomes, especially if you have the right partner. And I'll say this, healthy relationships are great for us. Healthy relationships help us in our healing. Now, let me clarify. Don't go get in a relationship because you need to heal. (laughs) You need to do your healing. And then when the opportunity comes for you to have that healthy relationship, that healthy relationship Mm -hmm. will help you even more. Because yes, as you get into that relationship, you're going to have your, you'll have your triggers and that's going to be your opportunity to work through. But luckily for you, you're in a healthy relationship, which means you have a healthy supportive partner who's going to be there for you to support you as you're going through that time. Because we are humans, humans are designed to have connection. And it's within that connection that helps us heal. Think of a crying baby being soothed by its mother simply by being held. Mm-hmm. That's a whole psychological process, a whole biological process that's happening. We're releasing a hormone called oxytocin. And that hormone actually helps with relaxing us, calming us. That's that love hormone that we have. Our bodies naturally react to that when we have that hug from that person that we actually love or that we trust. So when you are in that healthy relationship and you are close with that person, like I said, there's that psychological and biological healing that's taking place. So healthy relationships are very good to have. So if you are on a healing journey and you see that healthy opportunity, by all means, vet that partner appropriately be honest, be authentic, and grow. Keep working on you because you can come across an amazing person and your ish can mess them up. Yes. Oh my goodness. And you're over here just flourishing because they're helping you. And in the meantime, as they're trying to help you, I'm not going to say you're flourishing, but you're learning, you're getting a little bit better than the process of you getting a little bit better. You're having a lot of 
negative impact on them in the process. And it's like one of those, like Stella. She helps him get all this stuff. Because that's the one that left him for the white Come out, Yeah, she she gave all to her husband. Yes, built yeah. him up, made him successful. She's older, had all these kids, didn't you know go after her career. And he's like, oh, got what I want. Yeah. You like it? <laughs> yes, yes. And and yeah, and even with that dynamic. So yes, on one end, you know, Stella, she gave too much. She gave, she gave, she gave. And I know that was her husband, but it's important to, to understand, you know, am I receiving? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you are avoidant, you don't receive. Mm. And within those trust issues. So if you're dating with trust issues, let me tell you something. If you're dating with trust issues, you're going to settle. Mm. Because you're not going to allow yourself to receive that person that's going to give because that person is going to feel like they're giving too much to you. You're going to settle for that person that's going to keep you in your comfort zone, right? So you really have to do that work. So trust issues, right? But if you are unable to receive, you're going to get someone who's going to drain you. They're going to take, 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 take. And even the nicest, kindest person who's a giver will continue to take because human nature, if if I keep getting something and I don't have to give, well, then I won't have to give. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily mean that person's a bad person or a horrible person. They just didn't have to do anything. It's mm-hmm. like a kid, you know, you have a good kid, keep give, keep giving them cookies no matter what, just because they, they don't even have to ask for it. They just sit down in the chair, they get a cookie. It mm-hmm. could be a great kid, but they know they're going to get that cookie. That, what, what do I have to do? Sit down? Okay. I don't have to show good behavior. I don't have to do my homework. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to, I'm going to get a cookie anyway, no matter what I do. Mm-hmm. So it's important to have that balance of give and take within yourself. I'm a giver and I had to learn to give because I'm not going to stop giving because then I was avoidant. I'm not going to give too much because then I'm going to drain myself. So I had to balance it out. So I had it at level. We had to talk in stage. I'm going to give you this, but this is my, my boundary. Mm-hmm. We're in the dating stage. I'm going to give you this, but then this is my boundary. It's a lot further than talking, but this is my boundary. We're in a more serious, committed relationship. You know, I can give a whole lot more mm-hmm. and everything. Of course, there's still boundaries because you don't want to drain yourself, but you have to understand boundaries and work on boundaries. And boundaries are huge in my program. We really build boundaries from the beginning to end because you have to have those boundaries with everyone. Mm. Even in a healthy relationship, you have to have boundaries and be willing to communicate and stick with them. But yeah, with that whole thing, it's, it, it, it's a give and take. So you can't keep taking from someone. If you have someone who you know is supportive and loving and they're giving while you're healing, make sure you do those uncomfortable conversations. Mm-hmm. Every week, ask them, how am I being to you as a mate? We call them uh, relationship check-ins. Let's do a check-in. How are things going this week? Tell me, you know, what can I do better? What did I do great? And listen, be willing to take that in because you don't want to hurt a good man. I mean, we okay. we, we want these good men. Absolutely. Them. All right. So I would love if you would share a little bit from your own experience, but also your expertise in how do you stay free? Like you, you do the work, you get healed, but it's kind of like a physical scar. That scar is more likely if you hit, you know, your knee in the same spot again where you had a scar, even though it's healed, it's more likely to 
open back up than if you hit the other knee that's never had a scar. How do you stay free from your old habits after you've healed? So one thing, of course, awareness. You have awareness with healing. You're always going to have awareness as you go through your journey. So becoming aware of just your behavior patterns. So once I got to a place where I felt like, you know what, I can really date and I feel like I can trust myself with choosing healthy mates. And I started interacting with men who were healthy and wanted to be with me, wanted to commit. They're the type of men where they're like, yeah, I'm looking for a wife and they're not trying to marry me the next day. Mm -hmm. You got to watch out for that. But, you know, balanced men. I had to really make sure I was purposeful with my intentional communication because for me, my core when I was unhealed was being avoidant. So people who are avoidant do not communicate consistently. We just don't. We might think about you every single day, but we're not going to tell you. We're not going to call you. (laughs) We may not touch you (laughs) because we're good. She's not into me. She's oh not interested. You know she how many times I heard that? <laughs> and you over here like, oh, he's so this and that. And- yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I heard that. Oh my gosh, I have folks mad at me. I'm like, what you mad? Oh, wait a minute. I didn't, I didn't realize. But yeah, I have to be purposeful with communication. And even now, because my schedule is so busy, mm-hmm. you know, I have two children, got a business, full-time job. I get caught up. It's like there's not enough hours in the day. Right. I can go three days and not talk to someone and I'll be okay. And that's my baseline. But I have to recognize mm-hmm. that that might not be their baseline. So number one, mm-hmm. it's important for me to understand, you know, what do you expect from me when it comes to communication? Number two, let them know, hey, I can get into a habit where I may not communicate and this is why you have permission to say something to me because sometimes people will not say anything to you because of their own things they have going on mm-hmm. in there. But you have to give them permission. Hey, you can, you know, if I'm doing this, just say something to me. Don't take it personal. You know, I just, I need to do better. So you have those conversations and you speak to them so that within your relationship, you're able to be honest with that. And then you have to be intentional. You have to show up for your relationship. And a lot of times it's reflecting. How am I showing up in my relationship? One thing that I have people do is journaling. Journaling is probably the number one way that you can really do some mindset shifting when it comes to healing. Because you're writing things down in your head. And when you're getting things out, you're getting your thoughts about yourself, thoughts about your relationship, thoughts about other people, thoughts about past situations, you're getting them out in writing. Also with that journal, you're, you're creating a record. You're able to see your progression. You're able to see if you are not progressing because now you can go back and read and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was having those thoughts last year around this time, or, oh my gosh, I'm still having these same thoughts. What can I do? So you're doing, so in my program, I give you tools and strategies that you can use, not only when you're starting your healing, but you use along your journey forever. And journaling is one of them. And I'll just say this. I have a former clients who worked with me. My one-on-one program is about 13 weeks. So we did the one-on-one program for 13 weeks and I've had gosh I I had a it, it must be something in the air and something in the universe because 
I've had about four people come back to me in the last two weeks saying, hey, you know those strategies you showed me? It helped me with this particular thing. I, there's this one client, we're actually friends, developed friendship, and they called me. They were like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to tell you. I got something excited I want to tell you. Tell me something. I'm like, okay, cool. That's so good. Good, good to hear about that. And they were like, well, you know, prior to that, I was really like down in the dumps and I had fallen off with my journaling and my meditation because I'm big on meditation. And I started doing that again and that got me back on track. So the tools that you learn when you work with me are ingrained in you. And yes, you may fall off because we do that in life, Mm -hmm. but then you pick up. It's just like with your exercise routine or, you know, you're trying to eat better. You end up eating that cheesecake for like three weeks, you know. At least you ate it for three weeks, the whole thing in three days. (laughs) But you recognize, hey, I'm eating this cheesecake. It's not doing anything good. I'm getting into this bad habit. I've got to stop it. Let me do another habit. Because you don't just stop doing bad habits. You got to replace it. But you have the tools in place already of what you need to do. And you learn them and you've implemented them. And you were able to integrate them in your life. So, you know, they work. So you just say, oh man, I got to do that meditation. Where's that meditation at Paula? Let me start doing that every day. So you have those tools to help keep you accountable. And what I also do for me is I have my support system in place. So I have my close friends. And when I say friends is two, because everybody ain't your friend. Right. And they both are, they support me in different ways. But then I also, and this is the beauty of being a coach, I also have other coaches that have programs that I I able to follow. There's times I've had to do some one-on-one, and then there's times where I'm able to just do this one particular coach. He has a membership, mm. and I'm able to log in, either listen to him live or log in and listen to a recording and that helps me out with remembering because he's not telling me anything new, but it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, it's amazing. like you can know something and it gets buried because we have so many thoughts. And then I remember how to do that. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And it's a lifestyle change. You know, as a nurse, when I educate patients for getting healthy, you know, you have patients come in, they're obese, lifestyle changes. you got to have a better diet. You've got to start moving around. You've got to start having different water consumption. You've got to let go of the alcohol. You've got to do this. It's a lifestyle change. Same thing when it comes to emotionally healing. You've got to get rid of the toxic people in your life. You've got to cut them off. I don't care what their title is. You have to keep them at a distance. Some people you can't cut off, but you put them at a distance. So you got to do that. Hit, hit. You got to do it. You've got to do your daily work. I have a daily routine. I call it the good life daily routine because for me, it's the good life experience. My last name is good. I have a play on that. So you have a daily routine and your daily routine doesn't start in the morning. It starts at night because you have to prepare for the morning. You have that daily routine. You are working on yourself as a whole. The scope of nursing is dealing with the person as a whole. So we're not just healing your breakup that happened. We're healing the whole person. What happened to you as a child? Mm -hmm. How are you coping with it? When you're coping, how are you eating? How are you sleeping? How are you taking care of yourself? When you step out of the house, how are you feeling by how you look? 
Do you think you're looking your best? Do you feel like I look like yesterday's trash? What is your thought process about yourself? I look at everything. So yes, I do bring my nursing experience into my coaching as a transformation coach. We address everything because it is a lifestyle change. If you want to be different and have different outcomes, you have to do things different. Mm-hmm. And it starts here. And, it, and it, your actions have to follow. Your behaviors come in. And that's how you stay accountable. When you change that lifestyle, you're not eating that cheesecake now. <laughs> you're going for the healthier options. And then you might have your little cheat of cheesecake here. Because now you've developed a whole different lifestyle where you've integrated it into your life. So I'll tell you all this, whether you hire me or you hire somebody else, or you go to a therapist or you get a course, workbook, whatever, don't just read it and say, oh, that sounds good. Put it into action, integrate it into your life, make that permanent change. Because mm-hmm. only then when you have, will you have true transformation. And that is the goal is transforming your life for the better, but you have to make those changes and understand it is not easy. (laughs) It's not easy. So don't think it's going to be easy. Not at all. It's work. It's a journey. It's it's ugly sometimes. (laughs) Ugly. And you know, a lot of ugly crying. Honey, listen, I've done some ugly crying. I I had a, a partner a romantic partner and he was so supportive of me. I was just, you know, he was just someone I could be vulnerable with. And let's tell you, he got some tears in his ear. <laughs> so thankful that he was supportive, but you know, it was a healing journey for me. It was very supportive. And I thanked him. I, I thanked him a lot because some men would be like, oh my God, mm-hmm. I listened to her video on IG and she was good. But today she's like falling apart. Like, what's going on? <laughs> she's <laughs> like, human. Like, she's got emotions. Right. He recognized I'm human. I'm human and I'm authentic. And he was actually thankful that I chose him to share my emotions with. But that's an example of having someone who supports you through your journey because it is challenging. It's not pretty. And you're going to have some gray days. Absolutely. This has been so incredible and eye-opening. You dropped so many pearls and just it's so enlightening. I appreciate all that you shared on this conversation. Before we go, what is one thing that you do to get one step closer to living your most opulent life? For me, my goal is to always live in my truth. And I know that can encompass a lot of things, but if I always just say, I'm always going to live my truth, I'll always do that one thing. And I'm always going to be Paula. I'm always going to be my unique self. I will always be true to myself. And I will always be loyal to myself. And that's how I live my opulent life. All righty, ma'am. How can people work with you? Because your courses and programs sound like the bomb and that you are snatching some edges to help you get your life together and be in that secure attachment style. How can people connect with you and work with you? Well, the best way to connect with me is actually through my Facebook group. It's called The Magnetic Feminine. And in that group, I post a lot of information, but I also show up and do trainings. And when I do those trainings, they're live. So you have an opportunity to come up there, ask questions, interact with me, really get to know my coaching style, how I teach and learn some things. And then from there, 
you're able to figure out which program is right for you. Like I said, I have a one-on-one pro- coaching program. I actually have some smaller courses. So you can figure out which one's right for you. And I'm also in the process of creating a group coaching program that will be launching soon. So like I said, I have the magnetic blueprint. Right now it is my one-on-one. I'm turning it into a group coaching. So a lot of the information that my one-on-one clients have gotten will be in that magnetic blueprint program. And all the stuff I mentioned of what you need to do and how I can help you will be in that program. It's a bigger program. It's about 10 weeks and details will be coming soon. But if you come and join me in the Facebook group, you'll be able to hear about those details, know when it comes out. And like I said, get to interact with me. Also, I'm going to share a link with Cassandra so you can have an opportunity to take that attachment style test because I really want you to take that quiz and really become aware so you can start, start your journey. I do feel like we need support. It's important to have support as we go through the journey, but you can get started at any time, even if you don't have a coach or you don't have a therapist right this very moment, because I gave you some things that you can start doing right now and you can grab your piece of paper and start doing them. I love it. Thank you so much, Paula. This was amazing. I love having you on the show and thank you for sharing just so many gems. This was really incredible. And I don't think we're having these conversations and they're so needed. And it's amazing to be able to have these conversations in a safe environment and to be able to talk about them and talk through them and learn and to grow. So thank you so, so much. You're welcome. I enjoy being up here. I enjoy having this dialogue with you. I'm glad I was able to come up and share this information. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Crowned Opulence Podcast. Visit CassandraAlexis.com for more information. Let's keep the conversation going. Join the Opulent Outcomes Society Facebook group. Follow me at the Cassandra Alexis on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Loving the show? Leave a five-star rating and review. It helps the show and helps other women just like you get one step closer to the opulent outcomes they desire in life and business. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free so you don't miss an episode. Remember, you aren't everyone's glass of champagne and everyone isn't yours. Only a select few are privileged to enjoy you.